Office Hours Live is brought to you by Arroya, the ultimate cultivation platform. Unlock the power of crop steering through our state-of-the-art sensors and software. Repeat successful runs and scale faster than ever before. Schedule a demo today at arroya.io. Um, I guess somebody let me know when we're ready to start. <clears throat> Anytime. Okay. Recording. Getting started right now. Uh, Chris, you hitting record or me? Hold on, let me hit record. <laughs> oh, 420. One. <laughs> All right, I hit record. Just waiting for that to start. Yeah, maybe we should have went a day early. Done one yesterday. No one would have been here to do okay. it. Okay. That's true. Here we go. We'd have to send Hi, everybody. Out. Welcome to Arroyo Office Hours Live. My name is Keisha, and I'll be your moderator for today's discussion. A couple of reminders before we get started. This hour is your chance to hear from the experts, get answers in real time about data you're seeing with your grow, and to share cultivation tips and tricks with other growers in this exciting industry. We thank everybody in advance for not using this time for things like airing policy or industry grievances or asking about Arroyo pricing, although you're always welcome to book a demo. Um, but feel free to type your questions in the chat at any time. And if your question is selected, we'll have you unmute yourself and ask away. Anyone who asks their questions live today for the first time will get an Araya hat. We're going to limit that to U.S. residents only, one hat per household. Plus, all of our session attendees today are going to be entered into a drawing to win a limited edition Araya t-shirt. Seth, Jason, hello. How are you guys doing? You got one of those t-shirts around? Should we can show everybody we, what that looks we like? We do. We got, you know. The back is the most exciting here, I guess. This is the new Arroyo oh. shirt. And then nice. the kush kebab there. And then I got to get my hands on one of those. That's pretty yeah. sharp. All right. So, folks, here. anybody who's joining us today, if you want to enter to win and wear a T-shirt, enter your email address in the chat. And we'll get that over to you. Seth and Jason, how you doing? What's going on? Doing pretty well. Yeah, pretty good. It's uh, finally starting to look like spring here. We've got, you know, liquid water instead of snow coming from the sky. So that's always good. It's growing oh, season it's right around the corner. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Are you ready for our first question from uh, Instagram? Or is there something you wanted to talk, start with today? Um, just wish everyone happy 420 a day late. Uh, obviously, if you are a day late and celebrating, then you can be a few days late all week. I do know I was out visiting some farms on 420, and uh, I hope not everyone was working super hard. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I think we're ready, Keisha, whenever you want to start. Sweet. Yeah, and actually, speaking of 420, we actually have a bu We did 13 playlists for 420. Did you guys catch that? We created those. <laughs> And they're on Spotify now. You guys want to jump on that. All right. Well, why don't I um, get us going with our first question from Instagram here? This one came from Chris Mix. They are asking, where should the Terrace 12 be placed in uni slabs with a 4x4x4 four by four by four on top? Given using the measurement tool for vertical height and the best location of irrigation stakes in this media setup. And if the cubes were overdried, can using slabs still provide a good root structure? 
All right, we got a few questions yeah. in there. Let's hit the the placement on the first one. Um, for uni slabs, it's going to be at the same height as the slabs, so I think that's going to be an inch and a quarter um, based on that uh, installation tool, that installation mm -hmm. template. Um, so go ahead and do it just like you would in a slab. Just um, turn it right somewhere in the middle of the uni slab is the best. Uh, four by four by fours on uni slabs, pretty good combination. Um, you know, any of those four by substrates are, are some of my favorites for vegging out um, it's got a little bit less volume than say a jumbo or hugo and you can um, make sure that your water contents are very dynamic you don't overwater, um, etc you don't waste rock wool they're they're a great size you know four by four by three four by four by four any of that stuff it's a great size to veg on mm -hmm. where the drip stakes gonna be have keep those in your your four by fours yep. um so usually if we've got uh try to make a square with my hands we should have brought a prop. Yeah, <laughs> we should have. Uh, if you've got a square, you want to be kind of in the diagonal corners across from each other. So two um, drip stakes. We like the 0.3 gallon um, per hour drip stakes are some of our favorite. That low drip rate really helps the capillary effect of the substrate. Um, keep that water from just running through and really soak up the media. Yeah, and there's, you know, on top of that, you're going to want to make sure your sensor placement is on the same side of the blocks on your table so that you don't have, you know, sensors that are downhill and sensors that are uphill. And there's not going to be a huge difference there, but it's nice to be consistent so you're comparing apples to apples all the time. And then as far as over drying goes, um, when you do stack that block on top of the Uniswab, that is actually going to help quite a bit if you've managed to over dry that block during veg. Is provided you fully hydrate your Uniswab and <laughs> never let it go below 40%, roughly. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so when we're looking at um, plants late and flower, a lot of times, you know, that stalk is going to be quite a ways down into that 4x4. Four four. Those roots are going to seek out the, the water content in the, the Uniswab. As long as that Uniswab is staying properly hydrated, the 4x4 the four four is not going to contribute almost at all in the, the later stages after that plant's rooted well into the Uniswab. Yep. Call it a crown, root crown? Yep, exactly. I mean, you know, by the time you harvest that plant, you can almost grab that 4 by 4 by 4 and break it in half and just have beefed up stem in there. Awesome. Great, you guys. Thank you for that. Um, I'm, our next question comes from Baby Got Drybacks. They are asking, what lighting system do you think works best with Arroya? Any of them? The sun, LED, yeah. HPS, <laughs> metal highlight. Uh, there's, I mean, Arroyo doesn't really care about your light system too much. We're, you know, we're able to interpret light data from the quantum sensor. It's calibrated for HPS, for metal highlight, for the sunshine, for LEDs of, of different spectrums, whether that be full spectrum or uh, selected spectrum. Uh, that's a high quality quantum sensor. I think it's the SQ521 from Apogee that we use. And, uh, Really, you know, the difference is there is going to be how you're modifying your environmental parameters based on the, the lighting type that you have and uh, making sure that you're watching your drybacks, uh, getting the appropriate EC in there. So one of the things that kind of comes up when I'm thinking about the, the lighting type is uh, some of the impacts of radiation. And so anything like an HPS, we're going to have a little bit more long wave radiation in there. And that has a tendency to heat up the, the leaf surface. And so if we are moving from something like HPS to LED, there's, there's a good chance that we'll need to bump up the temperature of the room a little bit and probably even provide a little bit more um, EC, a little bit more nutrients mm -hmm. in there to, to keep up with, with those plants in the new, uh, new light spectrums. 
Yeah, I think the most important thing to look at is, you know, really quantify your environment and figure out what you're capable of in there without, you know. So if you currently have HPS and you think LED is going to be the best option, let's look at your humidity, look at the heat put inputs into the room and how that's going to change and then say, okay, is it better to put my money into developing my HVAC system to handle all this additional biomass in the room? And usually the answer is yes. You want to do that well before you make any change in your lighting. You know, either way, really, HPS to LED and vice versa. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I've worked with a number of people that uh, when they switch from HPS to LED, they're not burning off quite as much humidity and they run into uh, dehumidification caps um, simply now because they don't have those uh, those bulbs burning off some of the humidity that they're, they're used to not having to pull out of the room with dehumidifiers. Oh, exactly. And, you know, uh, this last week I've been going around the Northwest here and it's springtime. The humidity is insane outside. So <laughs> no matter what, you're fighting it. You don't really have an option to access dry air from outside. You're making humidity inside. So really nailing down that, uh, uh, basically looking at your absolute humidity and seeing what you're capable of is pretty crucial. It sure is. And I mean, obviously, if you do run out of dehumidification or humidification constraints, then um, working with your VPD to, to run off that. And so, you know, right now we're looking at uh, in here in Pullman, we've got 61% humidity over at the mm -hmm. airport. Um, fortunately, in my greenhouse right now, we're about 40% uh, humidity. But I was watching some of this stuff you know, last night. Um, we were running about 90% there. And uh, so it does make it a challenge, especially for the greenhouse growers to to keep a balanced environment mm -hmm. through the climate, through the different seasons, the climates in the different seasons. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're, you have to look at every extreme and prepare for it. And unfortunately, sometimes it's hard to even look back on, say, the last 20 years of weather data and accurately predict what's going to happen next year and, you know, make sure you've got the equipment to handle it. I think it's why so many of us get, uh, get jealous of the growers down there in the Emerald Triangle. Um, it's a really nice... Stable environment to, Very to grow it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they don't have uh, quite as quite as hard of a winter, or quite as hot of a summer sometimes. So, and that humidity is nice, consistent um, mm -hmm. off the coast. So, makes sense that that's kind of the uh, the growing capital of of the old school world. That's where oh, absolutely, most of the weed that you and I were smoking growing up uh, <laughs> oh, came yeah. from. Yeah, absolutely, and um, you know, a big part of that's just selecting your location just to reduce your input costs. I mean, if you look at price of pound per or price per pound of production, it's uh it's quite a bit to grow inside up north compared to outside um down south. It's just a, a simple reality. Excellent, you guys. Thank you. Um, and just a reminder for any of our attendees today, if you have any questions for Seth and Jason, please do type them in the chat. Um, our next question also comes from Instagram. This is from Easy Cloudy. They want to know, how do you determine VPD on your system without having a leaf temperature in the equation? Sure. So great question. We get this one quite a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, vapor pressure deficit is can be derived for any numbers. Uh, the VPD that we display in the system is an air VPD. So it's the environment VPD. Um, so in this case, we're using the air temperature and um, relative humidity in the air to determine that VPD. Uh, obviously, if you do want to do some leaf, um, leaf surface VPDs, then go on and take some uh, 
leaf surface temperatures and, and run those VPD calculations. For me, the reason that I really like just using environment is because if I do want to change my leaf VPD, then I uh, am actually going to be doing it from my environment. So mm-hmm. I'd rather just look at the, the root source of what uh, what's causing that um, that function of the plant, those, those parameters. Um, obviously, if you are modifying things like your lighting source, then you'll want to kind of keep in mind and recalibrate what, what you're used to seeing for an offset um, between leaf and environment VPDs. Exactly. And also, I'll point out that uh, in your quest to calculate leaf VPD, you're going to calculate air VPD. So it's a good starting point. And also, it's, uh, it's reactive. You know, it's the most efficient way to gather that data. If, uh, well... We don't have a drone with a laser on it to go around quite yet and just sample all your leaf surface temperatures and then relate that to the uh, the climate station. Maybe someday in the future that kind of technology will be there. But right now it's we're still relying on you know manual human inputs to get there. Yeah, uh, and that's, a, that's another great... Um, if you are taking leaf surface temperatures, uh, you're going to need to take quite a few samples uh, to make sure that the data that you're using for that uh, leaf surface is going to be a, a valuable data set. Uh, obviously, when we look at the, the differences in leaf surface temperature, we're going to be looking at how deep they are in the canopy, how much airflow mm-hmm. is hitting that specific leaf, what the transpiration rate of that leaf is. So, um, you know, if it's a, an older leaf and it may not be transpiring quite as much, all of that's going to um, change that boundary layer, uh, that humidity in the boundary layer, the temperature of that leaf surface that's uh, dictating the leaf BPD. Awesome, you guys. Thanks for bearing with me. I'm having some sound problems today. Okay, so um, I, we had someone submit a question here. They emailed it to us. They want to know, how often are you making updates to the dashboards and user experience for Arroya? So we, uh, we continuously make um, small improvements. Uh, you know, if there's any bug fixes out there, we're very active taking care of that stuff. And then on a quarterly basis, we do run uh, targeted update uh, so right now we're working on doing some tasking improvement uh, doing some some manual reading type improvements as well and we have a dedicated UX UI team that uh, basically spends time investigating uh, how the usage reports look like in our systems uh, talking with clients to get a better in-depth on on what the clients are looking for how they're using it and what uh, what slows them down in their daily processes during that usage yeah, and I'll definitely add that a lot of our uh, updates are, you know, purposefully designed to not, you know, fundamentally change the look of the dashboard. So unless you're looking at, you know, the update window that pops up when they happen, it's not always immediately obvious that that little feature has been added. You know, manual readings are a great example. Every once in a while, you'll be surprised when one just kind of pops up and you didn't notice the one little, you know, statement in the update box. But you know, the idea is we don't want to change it so much that, you know, you log in one day and you don't know where to find something. Awesome, you guys. Thank you. Um, this was a great question that we got written in here. Someone wrote, I'm having a hard time convincing my bosses that Arroyo is a good investment. What resources can you offer to help me pitch to them? Uh, I think the first off would be, you know, talking with, some of our sales team members, uh, they can help you build out a, an ROI um, calculation. They'll do a full demo uh, talking about what the impacts that uh, Aurora can have for your plants and for the people that are mm-hmm. operating your plants. Uh, and really the best conversation there is to to bring that support uh, to your bosses and talk a little bit about 
bringing transparency to the whole company, um, basically giving uh, the company a, a source of documentation for how they're operating currently as far as cultivation parameters go. And anytime you know there's there's staff changes or loss or any of that, it's really a great way to, to, to buffer and make sure that the company can keep their consistency through the dynamics of, uh, of the industry and staffing. Yeah, and if you're looking for like a specific easy resource, honestly, check out our Grower of the Month series. Um, we've got a lot of great interviews where growers are talking from their perspective about, you know, how Arroyo has helped them make their daily f- operations more efficient. And, you know, even getting to the point where Arroyo is part of your turnkey business, if you're looking at this as a short term, you know, shorter term investment rather than a long term ownership deal. For some people, that's been huge. Just saying, hey, we've quantified our operations here and it's easy. You know, I may not have to stay on for three years to transition this company to new management. Whereas, uh, you know, if you don't have everything organized, it's pretty tough. And also, you know, right now that little bit of intellectual property in having your recipes and everything sorted out. So when you do want to give someone your, uh, your magic recipe, you can, it's easy. It's right there. It's quantified, easy to follow right down to, Hey, here's how the graphs looked previously. Here's what you need to copy. Here's the instructions. So go to, Arroyo.io, that's A-R-O-Y-A dot I-O, and check out the resources page, book a demo, uh, encourage your boss to be part of the demo so that he can ask questions maybe to our team and offload some of the work that um, that you're trying to translate uphill. Um, we're happy to help. We want to do everything we can to get you using a system that makes your life better. Oh, yeah, and if they have questions that are, uh, you know, not specific to, you know, maybe lean more towards uh, the operations or horticultural side rather than the business side, we're always happy to get the resources to the customer that they need to make the choice. Excellent, you guys. Thank you. A reminder to everybody who's on with us, uh, we had a couple, one or two people just join us. We're here to answer your questions live, so please do feel free to type any questions you have in the chat. Um, this question also was written in. They're asking, can we get more info about the drying technology with Arroyo, um, specifically also mentioning Aqualab as well? Yeah, let's start from the beginning here. And I think we did do an episode a little bit on on actually drying technology specifically with Susan um, earlier in the series. I think it was one of the first five videos. Um, maybe someone can look that up and, and point it to the question here. And then, and then a couple of weeks ago, I think we, we hit up on this as well. So mm-hmm. basically, drying technology, uh, when we think about, well, what happens to a product when it's too wet? You've got my, microbial growth, um, so things can spoil. Uh, we see this, obviously, in lots of food industries, and that's where... The, the technology that we approach the cannabis industry um, has been developed in for the last two decades. And so we've worked with very large cereal companies. Uh, we work with a lot of jerky companies, snack bar companies, any processed goods uh, that need to be safe for the shelf uh, use a lot of our water activity technologies. So the Aqualab is, is one of the best specifically for cannabis and in uh, quite a few of your states that uh, you are getting certification and analysis is done. Those companies actually use our aqua labs to, to test the product and make sure the water activity is, is safe for sale. And so water activity is slightly different than moisture content. 
they are related, but it is a product-specific isotherm that describes the relationship between those two. Obviously, water content is a a by-weight percentage of of how much of that product is water. When we look at water activity, it's actually a specific, um, it's an energy related to the water levels in there. And so depending on the composition of a product, the the water activity can be a, a little bit higher or lower at the same moisture content of a product and um so if 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 we really want to dig into you know one of the best reasons to use an aqua lab uh, is because that water activity can actually get you a much more accurate moisture content than you could by using a traditional um you know moisture content meter you know whether that be a, a, a dry off meter or other types and uh so yeah i i think We've got, had a lot of clients that use uh, Aqualabs separate from Arroyo. Uh, they might be using it through some of the other modules that uh, Meter Group offers. And I, I think last week we uh, we did our first install with uh, um, Arroyo tied in to the, the um, water activity to that Aqualab. And so they're pushing readings directly from their Aqualab into the Arroyo drying module. Uh, it, you know, it's currently a little bit, uh, early in our in our deployment, and I think we're going to uh, make some some pretty significant improvements based on the client feedback that we're seeing from this. And that's kind of how we we develop all of our products: is get some of this stuff tested in the field, and use the feedback that we get to to really build the best product for uh, a successful product launch. So, uh, how that's going to work in Arroyo? Well, when we look at a harvest group, it's drying stage is just another part of that processing life cycle. So we've got obviously our our clone stages, our veg stages, our flower stages, and you know drying is sometimes I think overlooked because it, it is quite a bit more simple than the cultivation cycle. It's faster. There's less complexity involved with inputs and labors, but it's also one that can make or break how much energy has gone into that that harvest group. So obviously we've got you know, 10 weeks to, to get to a product and to dry, uh, you know, in a week, we could uh, we could really jeopardize the quality of that product going through. And so implementing something like water activity, taking those measurements every day so that you're getting the product out at the right um, water activity and moisture content levels is going to be a good way to solidify the standard operating principles at your company. Oh, absolutely. And you can actually, uh, you know, Right now, a lot of our customers put the Atmos 41 up in the dry room so you can take these two data points and start to build out your ideal drying routine or say, wow, we're, we're having problems. Looks like we actually can't take our humidity out quick enough for the first two days. You know, that's, that's a common thing when uh, you've got, a let's say, a retrofitted building and your dry room just isn't quite big enough. So you're starting to look at, okay, well, now we got to make some upgrades. We, we have recognized the wall. We hit it. All right, how are we going to fix it? Moving on. And, uh, you know, really, it's just, it's all about consistency. You know, the old snap test is great, but as growers, we're always trying to improve our product, improve our techniques. And some of that, some of those, that, those improvements result in, let's say, different bud structures. So certain strains that we dial in, let's say, ripening on a lot better, we might end up with a lot denser bud structure. So over time, we might even end up modifying our drying. our drying techniques just so we can maintain that consistency despite the fact that there's this small variation in our actual product we, we can test it right on the spot and say okay yeah this one does need another day but whereas last time you know maybe it took 10 days and this time we're running 11 we can make that call with confidence now 
Yeah, and so obviously by tracking this in a way, you've got a, a great library, uh, you know, a historical breakdown of uh, what that what that growth cycle did in cultivation and what it did in, in the um, dry room. You know, maybe we didn't track what was happening in the dry room and we had actually a really great run that um, we may not have actually known was a great run by the time we got drying because of some mistakes made in the drying room. Uh, and so it's just a really nice balance to keep everybody responsible and accountable for you know what happens every stage of this process and so when we when you think about uh, you know how this works uh, on site you go in your dry room on a daily basis uh take a you know a few samples you know depending on how how many different strains you have in there um take a few samples so that you can characterize the different spots in the room maybe a little bit different uh, bud size or position that it came from on the plant itself and, and get yourself uh, a nice data set to to make the best prediction possible in there and so what uh you know what our system is doing is basically running an algorithm on those daily water activities and then once it's got enough data to make a good prediction it's going to say hey you should take that product out of the room at day nine and a half maybe you're always doing it at mm-hmm. day nine or day ten well we're going to say you need to be in there in you know nine days and uh 14 hours or, or, or whatever that specific product turns out to be. And that can obviously save you a little bit of time and gets you just way closer to the, to this, the best product that you can. A uh, couple of things to kind of keep in mind there is even though the dry into the dry room is kind of the end of the cycle uh, in, in the Royal harvest groups, there is a couple more steps that the product goes through before it hits the consumer's hands. So thing, things like processing rooms, um, trimming rooms, we always recommend people keep those, at, you know, at a good humidity as well. So if you're shooting for, you know, around that 0.6 water activity range, then keep your your processing rooms at about 60% humidity. So when we just talk about water activity in the bud at, at 0.6, that's going to equ- equilibrate at 60% humidity. So if we're trimming and processing plants in a 60 percent humidity room and they're at 0.6 water activity they're going to stay at 0.6 even when they're exposed to to the open environment in that room yeah i think the the saying in the the uh, whiskey industry is the angel share where it takes uh you know a little bit of the alcohol evaporates off while they're aging it we don't want that in weed we don't need to have it (laughs) we we have the capability to prevent that and it's really really simple you know, just monitoring and then continuing to test, you know, you can always test right up to the point of packaging and say, all right, where can we identify that this potentially lost a little bit of moisture? You know, if we're recovering, you know, a gram here and there, even on a couple ounces, that, that adds up when we're pushing even, you know, you know, let's say 50 pounds in a room. If I'm picking up half a gram on every ounce, that adds up really quick at scale. So that's just just not losing your hard, hard work. And, you know, going back to what Jason said about, you know, really, really getting those dry down techniques consistent. Um, it is the worst thing to see people just uh, succeed so well with some of these crop steering techniques and, you know, get their biggest, best harvest they've ever had and then go, how do I dry it? I don't have enough room. Like, what do we do here? Just rolling in more dehues and doing anything they can. Cause now they just are, they're outgrowing their facility. 
Awesome, you guys. Man, so good. So much good information. Um, I have another question here. We just got this from Instagram, and it comes from Frosted Organics, LLC. They write, what do you think about five gallons in commercial with direct feed with Nettie? I'm co-director of cultivation for a beautiful 10,000 square foot, $2.5 million facility in Oklahoma City. We're about 15 days out from having plants in the build, and my co-director of cultivation wants to go with five-gallon pots. In my opinion, that's way too big. Just curious on what your thoughts were. I agree. Yep, completely. That's way too big. It's going to be, I mean, unless you're going to grow 14 foot tall plants and try to steer them, which is just not feasible in a a commercial operation. You know, you want, you want to turn, turn those plants as quick as possible. Um, Huge medium size is not the way to go. And then also, you know, you want to find a balance for your inputs. If you're spending three to five times the amount you need to on media for every plant. That's, that's not a sustainable business model or, you know, maybe it's sustainable for you, but it's not as profitable as it should be. And I, I talk about, um, you know, kind of a disclaimer, any of our crop steering techniques and the, the types of training that we do is with the assumption that you are using the appropriate sized media. So if you go in with a five gallon and you try and run based on the dry backs and EC stacking that we talk about, uh, it's just not going to be a great recipe. Uh, you know, in something like a five gallon, you're holding so much water capacity that until those plants are 10 feet plus, like Seth is talking about, you're, you're not going to ever hit those target water contents and, and be able to steer the uh, EC as you want. And, you know, conversely, on the other side of that, you know, if our, our substrate's way too small, maybe we're only running a six by six by six and we've, we've got, you know, five foot plants, um, you're not going to be able to steer because you don't have enough water capacity. You're always going to be having to have a wide irrigation window. Uh, that plant's going to, it's kind of weird because you'll, you'll be steering it veg, but it's actually going to be feeling a generative, um, response simply because of the massive dry downs. It's just running out of water content. Mm -hmm. So having the appropriate sized media is probably, you know, next to environment is, is the most important things that you can do. Uh, to, to set up the facility and be uh, ready for success using substrate sensors, uh, environment sensors, crop steering technology, and, and getting on board with standardized projectable crop cycles. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of people are finding that uh, even what's interesting, I've noticed the industry trend is you go too big, then you go too small, and then you find you know the appropriate size that is for your plants and your facility because depending on your overhead height and your environment, you know, obviously it's a little tunable. Some people have the best success with uh, rock wool slabs. Some people are having the best success for them with uh, two gallon cocoa versus a one gallon cocoa. But the real thing is we need to be able to get, you know, well over a 10% dry back every day overnight to be able to steer. If we have to just wait and wait for that, we can't give it enough uh, irrigation events and really send much of a signal to the plant in either direction. Yeah, I mean, to, just to kind of get some recommendations out there, because uh, obviously, when when you're you're, you're working with uh, other people, it's always best to come to a solution. Uh, you know, come to a conversation with solutions mm-hmm. rather than just um, you know saying that hey, the way we're doing this is a problem. So, you know, if you do need to be on the bigger size of a media, um, you know, let's say you are growing five six foot plants and, and pushing things pretty hard with nice high light intensity CO two supplementation. Um, I would go with, you know, say a two gallon cocoa bag, uh, the, the, um, the dehydrated cocoa that, you know, that comes in those cocoa box, um, blocks, they're 
already pre-bagged. They're really reasonable to purchase. It's easy to store them because they don't take up very much space. Hydrate those bad boys up and, uh, you know, stick your Terras 12s in there. The plastic sides, you know, the square bag, plastic sides usually allow that Terras 12 to go right in smooth. Um, it's it's a very, very compatible media with uh, how we, we like to run. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, even extending that as far as your operations go logistically, taking out that extra step of, you know, physically potting up all of your media is uh, hugely popular with employees. I can definitely promise that. No one loves bending down and potting up pots particularly. Or they might a few times, but <laughs> it wears on you for sure, especially when there's this alternative where you're reducing labor and sometimes reducing costs depending on what kind of media you, you were looking at previously. You know, if you're looking at a loose fill bag and you're paying to ship pallets and pallets that could be, condensed, you know, if 10 pallets could be condensed to one or two, that's that's also a big shipping savings, you know. Um, there's a lot of advantages. I thought that's how you kept your employees motivated, Seth. The worst performers <laughs> are cleaning pots every day, all day long. No, we. This is the future now. Okay. <laughs> we don't have to scrub pots. All right. I'll I don't work. ever want to do it again. I'll work for you then. All right. Fair. Excellent, you guys. Thank you. Okay, we got this question. Also came in from Instagram. This comes from Freddie Dosis and. Um, opposes to you Seth Jason also we have our team member John on the on the line as well so maybe he would like to chime in but Freddie Dose is right so just curious who who I could reach out to try out your equipment currently using Growlink for environmental fertigation and substrate data and automation with 60 teras 12 meters in use throughout the facility looking at your hardware software that does log data over time I'm under the assumption the Solus doesn't data log and just able to check real time only Correct on the Solus. Uh, it is just a, a spot checking device. Mm -hmm. um, the, be the best way to you know get an idea of what our system does uh, firsthand uh, schedule a demo. You know, go to array.io, click on the schedule a demo, check out some of our resources stuff. We put a lot of energy into education, uh, into you know working with the clients that have been successful with our products, getting an idea of how they've used it, what they like about it, um, what their plans are going for the. Um, going forward for the future so yeah check out those gervas of the months some of our blog channels um, watch other open office hours and schedule a demo is going to be the way that you get uh, get your hands into looking at what our system does uh, and so you get kind of an idea of how we've involved annotations uh, so being manual readings tasking building this into a digital grow journal that attributes uh, the data as well as saves and logs that data. So uh, that's just kind of the start of our capabilities. Obviously, we've gone into um, metric integrations. You know, we're doing some dry module stuff now. Uh, here in the next few months, we're, we're on our way to, to launching our open sprinkler integrations. And so we're, we're happy to have a really solid foundation uh, of great growers that we work with, um, great development teams that we work with, and, and some um, some staff members that have cultivation experience that are all involved in a team that uh, has built this product. So go check us out. Give us a call. We want to, we want to work with you. Absolutely. And our, our sales team's definitely uh, very comfortable and talented at talking to anyone, you know, if you need to convince someone in your organization, they'll take the time and work with you to make that happen. There's quite a few growers out there that, uh, how would I put this? They'll, they'll bet the cost of that first Arroyo room, bet that against their boss. And then uh, they, I haven't seen one of them fail at it yet. <laughs> Every time they end up expanding, a lot of times even before they get the harvest off of that first room because suddenly they let, you know, upper management log in and see what's going on and they're just 
really happy about that. They're like, wow, we can monitor your progress every day. Well, that's, we didn't read, you know, a lot of times that message is kind of sometimes lost that this is something that also brings to get, you can bring together the whole organization, not just necessarily your cultivators. It can be, you know, back to what Jason said earlier, transparency throughout your company. Awesome, you guys. Thank you. Um, I actually received a, we got a write in here. Um, and this is a perfectly timed question considering what you just talked about. They want to know what is your criteria for filtering customers? Is there a defined growth size limit or facility requirements I need to meet? Yeah. So, um, the first requirement would be we usually only sell to licensed facilities. So we do ask for, you know, your license ID. Uh, and then as far as uh, minimum facility, we do a thousand square foot um, as, as a minimum. Um, obviously, if you're smaller than that, you can purchase a thousand square foot system uh, and just use it on what what uh, smaller size that you're operating on. But the, but those are our, our minimums in order to to be a purchasing eligible client. Yeah, and I want to add to that too. It's not uh, that we are discriminatory against the home growers by any by any means. Obviously, we have the Solus. Um, a big part of it is some FCC radio regulations that require us to operate in a commercial setting. So although we're developing some radio hardware for the future that will be compliant for that right now, we just aren't quite there yet. You know, that's, that's really the big thing. It's, it's kind of funny that a, uh, a law regulating radio frequencies <laughs> would affect our ability to sell to certain cannabis growers after, you know, years and years of cannabis being illegal, but, that's that's kind of how it shakes out for now, unfortunately. That being said, we do have several customers that are in that sub thousand square foot bracket that are medical growers. So it doesn't hurt to reach out and see what it takes if you need anything, or you know maybe all you got to do is go renew your green card in your situation. It's worth an ask for sure. It doesn't cost you any money, and our uh, sales team's always happy to work with you, and you know. <laughs> tell you how it is, whether you qualify or not. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Um, someone else asked, this was a great question. Does the Aurora team do consulting or do I need to commit to the full platform in order to talk to someone about micro? Yeah, so um, we don't do consulting. We staff um, agronomic advisors. So Seth is uh, you know, one of our client success managers here. He does agronomic advising uh, as a part of the subscription. Uh, if you're not a subscribed client, then we don't offer that as a service. Uh, if you are a subscribed client and, and you need more in-depth agronomics, you need someone to come hit the site, then, then we do offer um, uh, some fee-based services that are beyond the, the contract and, and the subscription. So uh, that's how we help. Yep. And I, I do want to stress, that's why we call ourselves uh, crop advisors here, not so much consultants, because uh, our place is to help teach you these tools. We are not in the business of like making your day-to-day -day operational decisions for you. You know, that's just not, that's not practical for us right now and not necessarily uh, where we're trying to go with this. We're trying to help a lot of people learn these principles much more than, um, and, and realistically too, a lot of our customers already have consultants that they're working with. And on the other side of that, we're also happy to have some conversations with you if you feel that like your facility may not be up to par to run Arroyo, if you're worried that you can't crop steer, we are happy to look at some of those parameters with you and say, okay, yes, buy Arroyo or go buy a lot of HVAC equipment and then hit us up in a month because we would much rather 
help you be successful uh, even a little bit before you buy it if it's going to help us get the product to you. We don't want you to buy our product and then realize, oh, I just spent all this money just to find out that my facility <laughs> needs to have a lot more money spent on it when it's something that sometimes we can look at it and just say, wow, you're, you're under capacity for what your goals are here. Exactly. You know, if your if your decision is, hey, I need to either buy Arroyo or uh, automated drip irrigation system, the, the drip system is going to be your first step. And then, then when you get Arroyo, you'll be able to pay pay all that stuff off based on the improvements that you see in yields and reduced labor costs. Yep. Uh, but yeah, conversely, if you don't have a drip system and you buy Arroyo and attempt to crop steer, you're probably just going to pump your labor cost way up with you or someone you pay to go drag a hose around all day in attempt to do this, you know? Um, so yeah, we, uh, like I said, we're happy to have those conversations with people for sure. Awesome. That's great. Um, just a reminder to folks who are on with us today in the next few minutes, if you have any questions, we'd love to hear from you. Please do put them in the chat. Um, we've got a bunch of write-ins this week. Love it. Um, someone asked, what's the status on, on an outdoor system for Arroyo? Uh, it kind of depends on you know, the definition of, of outdoor that, that you're talking about. Uh, we, we do hoop houses. We've got lots of clients in hoop houses. Uh, you know, I think we did a sale the other day that's got 90 hoop houses um, on quite a bit of acreage. Uh, that looks very much like the, in the indoor Arroyo system. So mm -hmm. running Atmos 14s for your climates um, or the Arroyo climate station, if you will. It's got the repeater in the Atmos 14. Um, Taros 12s attached to the Arroyo nose. Uh, you know, usually... For those type of setups, we are talking about, uh, you know, above ground hydroponic setups. So mm -hmm. most of the time it's, it, it is most useful to be having drip systems. Um, usually in like a hoop house, we'll be in say three gallon, five gallon cocoa um, or some mixed medias. Uh, obviously out there you are getting a lot more micromoles. Usually you've got a, a little bit longer season. You're not trying to turn quite as fast as indoor. So you will usually use a little bit larger substrate. Um, you can get it down with, you know, a little bit smaller substrates, especially if you're auto flowering, um, trying to get those three cycles in, uh, into the summer. Um, yeah. So hardware wise, really not looking a lot different than, than indoor, uh, as far as, you know, if we're talking about field crop, um, you know, in living soil, just in the dirt, uh, we don't necessarily have, have a, a real clean option for that right now, but we, we do encourage you to, to call in and talk to us about what your setup is and, um, you know, if there's, there's some ways that, that we can, um, work on our product in the, the long run to try and start addressing some of those needs. Yeah. I think the big difference comes down to whether you're in the ground or in pots, if you're in pots, it's going to be pretty simple to implement. If you're in the ground, um, we're going to want to spend some time talking about, you know, your specific situation, whether you're in raised beds, furrows, potted up living soil, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different things we need to talk about and figure out, you know, what kind of sensor suite would suit your needs best and what you, you know, are going to be actually able to realistically do in that media, you know? So give us a call. <laughs> We'd love to talk to you about it. The outdoor growers are so interesting because that's such a broad term. And the other thing is, do you have internet there? You know, if you say outdoor, like, okay, we are very remote. We don't even that we have no landline to the site. Well, okay, we got to figure out what's going on. That's, uh, you know, obviously a big part of uh, what we do is using the internet. That being said, though, um, we, we do have some 
some hoop houses up in the, the hills of Humboldt that are oh, run, yeah. running their uh, array gateways off of satellite internet or yep. uh, or 4G cell hotspot. Um, those, yeah. are, those are both realistic options for running an array gateway. Absolutely. Lots of resourcefulness in the Emerald Triangle, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. So this one, actually, this is a fun one because it's a little more insight into you, you guys personally, but... Uh, someone wrote in, in your opinion, what grows the best weed, greenhouse or controlled facility? You know, if it's a perfect greenhouse, then uh, there really shouldn't be any difference at all. I was going to say those are the um, same thing if your greenhouse is built well. But yeah. the, the reality of that is uh, it is much, much more challenging to operate in a, in a greenhouse that uh, has the control that an indoor does. Uh, and this is really where we, we see, you know, a, a lot of the, the highest quality products coming out is because they've been through many iterations of growing cycles and the exact same um, parameters, you know, mm. they may, maybe just making slight adjustments, um, intended adjustments um, to how, how that crop cycle is affected by environmental and substrate conditions. Um, you know, and when we're working in greenhouse, we got seasonal things to combat we've got uh, a lot a lot more pest pressures um you know some of the newer greenhouses we're working on on positive pressure which which helps with with that type of stuff but when uh when we were cultivating right here up in the blues uh harvest time would come around you know august um and the, the pest pressure would come to the rough uh as all the the wheat was getting cut down those those pe- those bugs those pests were were looking for a, a nice warm living home and it just happens that was our, our cannabis greenhouse that they would find as all their their natural wheat home got cut the, down and the green every island. year every year <laughs> you so, can, yeah just watch watch the combines go out and go all right well let's make sure we're all stocked up yeah <laughs> we're gonna be doing some spray in here yeah. um so you know i i personally have a huge passion for automating greenhouses um that's what got me into this industry it was it was doing programming for um for the HVAC controls, for uh, pumps, for fans, for for lighting automation, blackouts, making sure that that stuff was working in collaboration as best as it could to offset the environmental changes outside. And up here, you know, it's pretty common this time of year. Here in a month or two, we'll be you know forty degrees in the morning and, and seventy five um, by two or three in the afternoon. And so, using conditional programming in your greenhouse is the best way. We need to know what that outside environment is doing so that we can control the the interior motors um, and fans, pumps, vents as best as possible. Uh, keep the the variations as minimal as we can. And uh, probably the easiest one there is making sure that you're running supplemental light um, based on a DLI target. So. If, uh, you know, if you're shooting for a DLI of, say, 40 to 45, uh, which is a, is a great range for starting with, and then make sure that your lights are turning on enough um, in the early day and later in the day. And then if you run on a cloudy day, uh, make sure that those lights are on enough to achieve the DLI that you need. That'll really help stabilize your, your irrigation parameters and make steering uh, become a, a happy reality rather than a daily uh, change to try and combat transpirations based on a changing DLI. So I always recommend, um, if you can, run your, your lights um, dynamically based off of a, a light sensor. So if you know we're, we're getting less than a certain threshold, then we need to turn our lights to a specific point. And, uh, obviously, LEDs, uh, the solid-state industry of LEDs is awesome for doing supplemental because we've 
usually got a, a fairly infinite control of between zero and a hundred percent intensity. And so rather than being on or off, we're turning on a certain amount of bays of lights to try and uh, supplement at the right level. You can just fluctuate that, uh, make sure it's run off a controller that, that does that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that really kind of highlights um, when we are talking about growing, you know, like say high quality boutique flower, our, our goal is consistency and doing it the same every time. And in greenhouse and indoor, you have like kind of a, a divergent route to get to the same thing with the greenhouse. We are working with dynamic techniques and trying to perfect those, but really they're dynamic. So it's always going to be changing. What we're doing is making our skills and ability to interpret data and make the correct choice better indoor. We're chasing more of a static environment where we can be very repeatable, very controlled. Uh, you know, we're, it's just a divergent path. Both can have great results. Um, it just depends on what's going to work for you. If, uh, you know, your, your time to put in or your given space is, uh, limited, the greenhouse might not be the thing for you, you know, especially with that learning curve, the first, oh, your first couple of years running a greenhouse, you're going to have uh, a lot of challenges to face, especially, you know, depending on what latitude you're at and your elevation those extremes just become very difficult to deal with. You know, I mean, even in the greenhouse, you might have your environment inside great. And then suddenly it seems like it's raining from the ceiling just because of the humidity and temperature differential from outside. So in my opinion, if you are right now trying to get a cannabis business up and running the greenhouse in, let's say a space that has high property cost, is definitely, you know, probably more of a risk than going with something that you can get set up in a static environment or as a fairly static environment. But on the flip side, if you can get the space and, uh, you know, you're willing to really spend time dialing that and recognize that even if you, even if you talk to me who, you know, for over 10 years, greenhouse growing all kinds of crops here on the Palouse, if I move to Arizona next month, that first year is still going to be a rodeo for me. <laughs> You know, just because I can, I can do a lot of math, I can make some choices, but I'm, I'm pretty used to seeing a certain thing in greenhouse operation, you know, or wanting certain goals and those change regionally quite drastically. So I think for a lot of people just getting into it, if your goal is boutique flower right now, high prices, um, you're, you're shoring up your bets a little bit by going inside and having, you know, easier environmental control. Absolutely. And kind of just maybe the, the last um, point that we didn't talk about was, you know, very large greenhouses, maybe, maybe someone's grown cannabis in a, an old cut flower facility that doesn't have maybe the automation controls, uh, doesn't have supplemental, uh, it might change the way that you evaluate your productivity and, and start thinking about grams per, um, grams per mole. Uh, of mm -hmm. produce and, and that way rather than always having a you know a cyclical say our grams per square foot in the summer is you know x amount or grams per square foot in the winter is y amount if we go by grams per mole um then then it always should be consistent to tell us that hey we are tailoring our nutrient levels um the way that we're treating these crops year around uh at the same efficiency uh based on our limiting factor of, of sunlight oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, and in the greenhouse, a lot of times we can compensate because our, uh, yes, our yields are going to fluctuate, but um, cost per pound of production might be quite a bit lower, you know, given the facility, if you combine like cheaper land, less light inputs, less heat inputs, given the time of the year, 
yeah, maybe it's not quite the uh, mechanical factory that has a fixed output every day, but it's a different metric for success. And as long as you're planning correctly from the beginning, you'll, you'll still come out on top or you'll still be in the green rather. <laughs> nice. I feel like I just got a master class in indoor craft cultivation, man, that was great. <laughs> Thank you guys. It really is an art and a science, huh? Absolutely. Okay, so we have our last write-in question. This will be our last question for the session today. Um, this person was wondering, when it comes to other crops, not just weed, what value can Arroyo add? Do we know of anyone using Arroyo for something other than, other than cannabis? Um, I think we only have cannabis. Yeah, me. <laughs> I was like, I think we grow, we grow our vegetable gardens with it. That's um, pretty awesome. Uh, it's, uh, you know, right now cannabis really as an industry just offered the, uh, growers with enough capital to really want to get into it. You know, in traditional agriculture, it's really hard to sometimes justify certain investments when there's, uh, especially let's say outdoor and field cultivation, like monitoring is very important for making certain choices, but say here on the Palouse, it's all dry land farming. So we rely on the rain. So year to year, there's, there are choices you can make, but regarding irrigation, no. So, you know, our customers here on the Palouse use weather stations. As far as, uh, I don't know, if I was a berry producer, I would probably want to have something like Arroyo eventually to really steer my crops and push production because, at, you know, in those economies of scale, just like in big cannabis um, and small cannabis, any little improvement adds up pretty quick. You know, 1% can be a big number if then you know in the right circumstance yeah and um you know if we if we think about really where a lot of cannabis great growing has come from as far as greenhouse um construction goes operating principles we look at the, the netherlands they're one of the largest producers of of fruit um in the world and they're a very small footprint country the way that they do it is extraordinarily high efficiency greenhouses where they're they're cramming in the amount of produce that they can produce so you know i, I think what they're doing in greenhouses is probably the golden standard of what we're likely to see in cannabis production here in the united states in the coming years and if we do look into um, those greenhouses almost all of them that are cultivating at scale are using substrate sensors maybe they're using load cells they're monitoring the same things that uh, we in Arroyo are monitoring for for production and that's how they keep their consistency very consistent well excuse me their yield very consistent their quality very consistent um, and and are able to produce at that level that they are yep absolutely once we uh I think as we see further and further legalization and kind of a normalization of business practices in the cannabis industry, we'll see a lot more of these uh, really uh, high-tech greenhouses coming into play over here in the States. It's just, it takes time. You've got to have the capital to build some of these facilities. I mean, uh, what was it? I can't remember the name of the company, but in Canada, there is one, I believe, that's almost 17 acres under greenhouse. Well, that's a significant investment if you're a startup, you know, especially in the U.S. where it's, you're relying on investors or your own investment to get your company going. It's, it's gotta be steps. Yeah. And you know, really, I think what's, what's driven the, the indoor um, ag culture of cannabis is one, obviously the, the legality concerns. And so that's how it's been done for so long, simply to, to reduce the uh, liability of, of growing cannabis. And so now those practices, um, 
are being scaled up and, and they're being produced at the, the amount of demand that we see now. Uh, obviously, that that is really hard on our earth. It's really hard on our environment using that much electricity, you know, using ACs all day long to be growing cannabis is, is, is really is draining on, on um, renewables uh, on the energy that we produce in the country. And so uh, I personally, uh, you know, I'm trying to push the envelope of what I do with greenhouses, the way that we control them, how efficient we can be in those, because I think it's a really important step for um, the industry to, to open up and, and, build greenhouses that can produce at the quality that we see in indoor today. Yeah. Unfortunately for uh, being full of uh, environmentally conscious people um, right now and cannabis is an unfortunately dirty industry when it comes to a lot of uh, indoor production and outdoor production to be fair. So over time, uh, yeah, I agree with Jason. We're going to be moving towards more of those practices as uh I mean, let's face it, over the years, it's unlikely that the cost of power is going to go down. The cost of growing equipment is not going to go down. So over time, there's going to be more and more incentive for growers to embrace greenhouse growing. And especially, you know, also embrace sensing equipment, (laughs) precision tools that allow you to really dial in your grow and be very efficient. I mean, one thing we're seeing with Arroyo is a lot of people reducing the amount of runoff they're running saving a lot of money on fertilizer because instead of running a really high EC, they're running, you know, a low to medium EC feed and uh, stacking it up. They realize they don't need to flush that much fertilizer down the drain every day. And not only is that better for the environment, but they save money too. (laughs) That's kind of, you know, it's, it's finding pennies inside your facility and those pennies add up really, really quickly. A lot of times, um, depending on where your starting point is. Yeah. So, I mean, to be growing the most efficiently, all your inputs need to be balanced to match the, the level of production that the other inputs are capable of, of allowing the plant to do. Such a great reminder, right? That sustainability aspect, especially we're on uh, Earth Day. Um, just It's an, an exciting time, a lot of innovation. Just try to get to, to a point where we're treating the planet as, as well as we're treating these amazing plants. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, one thing I think that's uh, a kind of a problem in a lot of agriculture, and I couldn't tell you what the solution is, is a lot of times um, if you are breaking some environmental laws and stuff like that, you don't have someone from the government that's constantly consulting with you and telling you what choice to make. So if you're not knowledgeable going into some of these choices, you're going to get hurt on the back end rather than, you know, being even knowing that it was a problem. And that's, that's really unfortunate. And that's not unique to cannabis. That happens to all kinds of people in the nursery industry and vegetable production industry everywhere, you know, making a choice and then dealing with the repercussions down the line with insurance, whatever, court, <laughs> rezoning, all that fun stuff that we want to avoid really in the end. Perfect. Seth and Jason, what a great conversation. Thank you guys so much. And thank you to everybody who joined us for Office Hours today. If you have any questions about Arroyo, how it can be used to improve your cultivation production process or any other topic you'd like covered during Office Hours, please do post it in the chat. Send us an email to support metergroup.com or send us a DM over Instagram. We want to hear from you. We record every session. We will email everyone in attendance a link to the video from today's discussion. It also live on the Arroyo YouTube channel. Please like, subscribe, and share while you're there. And if you find these conversations helpful, please do spread the word. Seth and Jason, I'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Keisha. Thanks, Keisha. See you next week. Office Hours Live is brought to you by Arroyo. 
the ultimate cultivation platform. Unlock the power of crop steering through our state-of-the-art sensors and software. Repeat successful runs and scale faster than ever before. Schedule a demo today at Arroyo.io.